everybody, and welcome in to a new episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Ben Fredrickson, alongside Dave Matter, who joins, as always, from the Columbia Bureau, and we're here to break down another weekend, another week and upcoming weekend in Mizzou sports. After a crazy Saturday in Columbia, Dave, um, we've covered some 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 wild times, but that was a marathon sprint between the Tigers hosting Georgia in the football loss, and then the spotlight turning to Mizzou Arena for the biggest bragging rights game in recent memory, albeit a weird one without uh, very many fans in the stands. We covered a very um, roller coaster Mizzou win there and uh, plenty to talk about from last Saturday still. We'll get into that. We're going to talk about signing day where Eli Drinkwitz is closing in on a, uh, a number 20 class. If things stand, there will be some some things that can change there, of course. We'll, we'll get to the latest on that as Drinkwitz had a chance to talk about his newest batch of Tigers, really the first full class he's had to work on since he got to Mizzou. Talk some SEC hoops and uh, and where things stand with Mizzou, and then we'll uh, we'll catch up on all things Tigers. Dave, how's it going, man? It's been a busy, busy time in Columbia. It has been. It's like everything just happens at once right now, and with, with signing day now happening in the middle of the season, I mean, it, it's not the first time we've had this December signing date, but it's the first time it's, it's happened when there's still games going on, regular season games, so no one's even talking about Missouri playing at Mississippi State on Saturday. It's kind of a footnote to everything, but it's a it's a big game. Missouri's got a chance to to finish the regular season with a winning record. They'll know their bowl assignment on uh, Sunday, so that's pretty exciting. They'll play in a bowl game for sure, a pretty good one too, I think. And I think they've got a really good chance of playing a bowl game in January uh, on January first or second. So a lot going on for sure. Let's start with last Saturday. We won't dwell on things too much on the football side of things because it was pretty clear that Missouri is not to the caliber of Georgia right now. Um, and, and the biggest, I think, takeaway from that game was that Georgia has some players that Missouri can't compete with right now. Um, right. That's going to lead us into this signing day discussion. So let's let's talk bragging rights basketball. Um, a, a really interesting game. Missouri led most of the game, but it got very close late, even tied in the second half. Um, you had terrible performances from Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman. Uh, one of the best performances you'll see in college basketball this season from Io DeSumo, who made some made some mistakes late in the game. Um, and and Kofi Coburn had a good game. If you told you though, if I if we talked about these things entering the game, we would have said Missouri probably lost in landslide fashion against the number six team in the nation. Yet they find a way to get a win. A real team performance for Mizzou. Tons of fouls in the game, including a controversial one late um just what do you make of where mizzou is and the fact that hey the tigers are ranked they're number 16 they're behind illinois which is going to frustrate mizzou fans um but they are back in the polls for the first time since 2014 right yeah absolutely you know i'm i'm an ap voter this year and i'm i'm one of the few that put missouri ahead of illinois i at this early in the season i i tend to like deconstruct my ballot each week because the body of work is so small and you really have to base it on what we have seen um, and less of what we thought before going into the season. So if you have a head to head matchup um, and their resumes are fairly similar, otherwise, I think you've got to put the team that won ahead of them, even if it's on Missouri's home floor, even if it's a close game. So I have Missouri one spot ahead of Illinois. Um, it was going to take a lot for up to convince the rest of the voters otherwise because people had Illinois so high and most people had Missouri unranked. So, you know, they are where they are. Illinois showed later in the week, they, they clobbered Minnesota. So it's not like, um, you know, 
it's not like they're not as good as we thought they are. Maybe they're not a top five team right now, um, but they are, they're really good and they're going to be hanging around till the end. I'm pretty sure. But I thought we learned a lot about Missouri. Like you mentioned, Mark Smith was not good offensively. Jeremiah Tillman had a tough time in that matchup against Coburn, but Missouri on this night was the deeper team. They were, they were the better team. Now they didn't have necessarily the best players, um, but they had a Javon Pickett come through. They had Mitchell Smith come through. Drew Smith was what he always is. Pinson had some flashes. Illinois did not have that supporting cast. Um, Adam Miller, the freshman shooter, was invisible in that game. They didn't get much of anything from Trent Frazier. Uh, Carbello, the freshman point guard, had a good game, but Missouri just had more production from its supporting cast, and that is that's the mo of this team right now. That's what it's been all season. They somebody has an off night somebody else picks up the slack and it's a pretty good thing to have. Cause you, you know, you won't go into every game thinking, okay, Drew Smith has to do this or Mark Smith has to do this to win. Someone else has been there kind of waiting in the wings. Yeah. They've had different stars every night and that's the sign of a, of a deep team. The other thing that I think we got to talk about is Missouri has picked up the pace. Um, we're, yeah. we're seeing them play, get out and run more. Conzo's talked about it, but they haven't really been about it. This year, they're they're talking about it and being about it. They're getting out and running. They're 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 getting more possessions per game. Um, some of those three pointers that they didn't hit last season in a horrific year from the three point arc after a really good one the year before. Those are some of those are falling, um, and they just seem to be kind of playing that more up tempo NBA style that Conzo's talked for a while about wanting to play. The good part of that is Pinson is able to to push that pace a little bit, but it's not just him. The team seems invested in playing a, a quicker style and taking advantage of getting out and running uh, when it has opportunities to do that instead of kind of relying on a half court offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the other team misses a shot, they are, they are running down the floor trying to uh, get something quick before the defense can set up. And, and that's where, you know, they've talked a lot about, Hey, Jeremiah Tillman has to run on offense and they, they think that he can, but that's why they're still fine when he's not on the floor. I mean, they learned to play without him last year and frankly, and I didn't, you know, break down all the rotation numbers and the plus minus and everything, but they looked fine without him during those stretches the other night. They, they went by committee to guard Kofi. He still got his points, but Mitchell Smith did a pretty good job on him. Parker Brown came in a few times and was okay. The, the big freshman Jordan Wilmore threw his big caboose out there and, and defended him pretty solidly at times. Kobe Brown even picked him up a few times. So, uh, and those guys, not Wilmore necessarily, but, but definitely Mitchell Smith and Kobe, those guys can run. And um, you know, you got a different dimension out there. And now that Conzo is more committed to that idea, um, you know, you can kind of let a guy like Pinson, you know, really just let him loose and you, you can't guard him one-on-one -on -one when everyone else kind of clears out of the way. And Drew Smith too, he's not as quick and not as, uh, not as dynamic, but he will get fouled and get to the free throw line and score points that way. So it's uh, kind of pick your poison. And, and right now they, they have a, they have a real identity on offense. They're still not hitting threes, but as long as they're not taking too many and missing too many, and they're just kind of hitting the timely ones, I think they'll be fine. Yeah. Mark Smith is hitting more. He played terribly in that game. I guess that's just kind of like a, an Illinois kryptonite thing. He does not play yeah. well against his former team, but they were able to, overcome it three bragging rights wins in a row for Conzo three out of four that's you know he's proud of that um, Illinois fans are, are frustrated by the flagrant foul that was called on Kofi Coburn late in the game but let's talk our way through that Dave a I don't I don't think it was a flagrant foul um, I did you know catch a lot of heat I thought it looked 
it looked like he clobbered Mitchell Smith with his arm um, in in live where we were watching it from. We saw the replay and it it was it was maybe a maybe a little to a lot of embellishment by uh, by uh, by Mitchell Smith, but it was clearly contact to the face. I thought it should have been called an offensive foul in the moment, which would have of course negated the basket that was scored afterwards, but not a flagrant. However, it wasn't called in the moment. Coburn dunks and and uh, the review is had. A flagrant is assigned. Mizzou actually didn't benefit much from that, from the way that that played out because the basket stood, which was two points. Missouri missed one of the two free throws that was awarded because of the flagrant, got the extra possession, missed a three. Illinois, Illinois uh, got the rebound from that. So instead of being, you know, negating the points that would have been scored on the, if it was an offensive foul, they actually, you know, had a chance, would have had a chance to have a bigger lead. Instead, Illinois gets the, uh, gets the chance to have the ball down three something like 12 seconds left in, in, in IO's hands, which if you told Brad Underwood that he'd be pretty pleased with that outcome. Now IO took a, a bit of a rushed three and uh, we, we saw how the game ended. He probably would have liked to have that shot back, but what did you make away those minutes, those final, that final minute played out, but also do we have any more details on what exactly happened there? Brad Underwood said that he was told that because there was contact up above the shoulders, that it had to be a flagrant, um, we've heard Conzo say he was going to look into why that basket wasn't waved off. I guess it's all water under the bridge to some degree, but is there any more clarity now on what exactly we saw there in the final minute? Yeah, Conzo hasn't done any media with us this week since the game, but he did do his radio show Monday night, and I listened to it, and he he said the explanation he got was the basket was part of the play, and they couldn't erase that part of the play. Now, we see baskets waved off all the time, so I don't know – what the rule is exactly. I guess maybe they decided that Coburn's collision, whatever we want to call it, um, was, 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 did not erase the fact that he still would have dunked it or scored unlike a, unlike an offensive foul. Huh. Um, if anything, it was just like a, unsp- I know it wasn't unsportsmanlike conduct. We have that in football, but it was more, along those lines, then, hey, he needed to make this contact to make the basket. So I, I don't know. I'm just kind of extrapolating on the very uh, small, quick comment Conzo made. He didn't, he didn't sound satisfied with the, with the uh, decision, but it, it did work out for his team, even though in the moment, like you said, it, it, it benefited Illinois more than anything. I mean, they didn't have as much time as mm-hmm. they would have. And had Missouri scored on that possession, you know, having a shot clock violation was the second best thing that could have happened because it just ate up a lot more time off the clock. And the way that Iowa was playing down the stretch, you figured he was going to score. Um, but yeah, it 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 were, end up in the end worked out in Missouri's favor. But that doesn't mean that, that you know Conzo uh, was really satisfied with how it how it unfolded that way. I don't think any fan, either fan base was uh, satisfied with how the officiating worked out in that game. That was a rough night for the uh, for the refs. Uh, you don't really want to see them become the story late in a game like that. There were some ticky tack fouls earlier in the game that I think kind of defined the the choppiness of the game, more than 50 fouls. And they should have, I think we, everybody wished they would have let him play a little bit more, including Jeremiah Tillman, who fouled out on what has to be one of the weakest offensive foul calls you will, you will see this season. Um, so anyway, pretty good game. Uh, wish the refs wouldn't have been as big of a part of it. But, hey, this was the biggest win in terms of ranked opponent that Conzo Martin has had in his career, Dave. Uh, Missouri yeah. is, as of, as of that moment, they were one of five teams in the nation to have multiple wins against top 25 teams. This was a Tigers team that was picked to finish 10th in the SEC. Um, I think we're starting to see a little bit more about the SEC now, 
that that seems uh, that seems like that's not going to be the case. Um, there are some undefeated teams in the SEC. There aren't very many who have been all that impressive. Kentucky looks to be down. Um, I do think Tennessee's really good. They got a late start because of COVID, but they're a talented team. They were picked to win the conference. That might that might be the case. We'll see because Missouri plays them to start the SEC schedule after their final two non-conference games against Prairie View, A&M, and Bradley. But it seems like Missouri is going to be a bigger factor in the SEC than a lot of people thought. Yeah, absolutely. And I this was as of yesterday, so I, it doesn't count games that were last night. And there's not much going on this weekend as far as major games. Now, Kentucky plays North Carolina. They were supposed to play UCLA, but they changed that game around. As of as of Wednesday, the SEC was 5-8 and eight against other high major conferences. So against the Big 12, the Big 10, the ACC, the Big East, and the Pac-12. Missouri's got two of those wins. The other three are Alabama over Providence – Alabama also has two losses to other high majors. They played a fairly tough schedule so far. Florida beat Boston College and Tennessee beat Colorado. That's it. So Missouri's not only has the most wins over high majors, they have the two best wins by far, Oregon and Illinois. Um, Kentucky's 0-3 against high majors. Um, who else? A&M's got a loss. Mississippi State has a loss. So not a lot of tough scheduling so far from, from the league. Uh, actually, Richmond is 2-0 and against the SEC also. They beat Vanderbilt the other night. They, we know they already beat Kentucky. So it's, it's a little bit hard to fault um, non-conference scheduling this year just because so many things got canceled. But Missouri's been tested, and they have arguably the best resume. Now, Tennessee also beat Cincinnati, but they got a slow start, so they don't have as many games. Um, there's, as long as Missouri finishes th- things out here, they play Prairie View A&M Friday and they play Bradley next week. And Bradley's not a pushover by any means. As long as they win out, they will have, I think, the best resume in the SEC going into conference play for whatever that's worth in a year where schedules are a little watered down. Things looking up for for Conzo's team and things looking up for Eli Drinkwitz's team. Dave, uh, signing day, um, this is this is unique. You know, they've changed, of course, signing days. It used to be one day and the fax machines were out and you had a good read on the classes after the day. And now there, of course, there are two signing periods. Um, Drinkwitz has said they plan on signing more players in the in the second period. But where things stand right now, Missouri has grabbed a bunch of four stars more than previous seasons combined under under previous coaches. This is the the first the first um, full signing class that Drinkwitz has had, not in terms of numbers, but in terms of having a full calendar year to go after it. And I think Missouri fans have to be pleased with what they see right now. The, the class is ranked 20th in the nation. Um, there's a, a good amount of good players from the St. Louis area, which is always going to be a theme for Mizzou that a lot of the talent from, from the state comes out of this area. And in Missouri has made some inroads there, whether it's in East St. Louis with, guy like Tyler Maker and Dominic Lovett or Lutheran North with uh, Trevian Ford. There seems to be some, some, you know, momentum there and also across the state in general, but not just limited to Missouri either. There's a couple four stars from, from, uh, from Indianapolis area, which uh, is, is, is unique. So what do you make of the class where it stands? What did you make of what Drinkwitz said in his first comments about this group? Not no real surprises in this. Um, we, most of these guys were committed um, but what now that he's had a chance to weigh in on it, what did you take away from his comments? I was pretty impressed with what this class ended up being for a lot of circumstances. I always kind of look at it like, okay, the three things you need to do. You need to address major needs that you need to fill immediately. That for Missouri is the defensive line. Yeah. They went out and signed seven guys that they project as defensive linemen. Most of them are listed as ends right now. 
some can bulk up and move inside to tackle. But the way Missouri's system is right now, you know, those guys can can move all around anyway for the most part. And uh, some of those, some of these guys that are listed as defensive ends are going to be more stand up on two feet type guys like uh, uh, Travion Ford. He'll he'll play that kind of buck linebacker spot, uh, and he is as good as any in the country as far as just a pure pass rusher. Played really good competition. I think he had 37 sacks in his high school career, so he's he's doing something right. So that was a really good get. Um, Kyron Montgomery is one of those Indianapolis guys, another uh, big guy, six four, two fifty type defensive end pass rusher so they did that they, they got that line and they got a couple of junior college defensive linemen too that physically you would think would be able to play right away and then they they did a really good job in the state like you mentioned eight guys in Missouri if you include the two East St. Louis kids which they do when they talk about in-state recruiting and they got some quality ones too um, you know the two DeSmet kids Taj Butts the the running back Makai Wingo the defensive tackle um, you know you get uh, the two from East St. Louis, you get Tyler Hibbler, a safety out of Trinity. Safety is a position they really needed to address. Ryan Horsecamp, uh, tight end from Washington, Missouri, which we include in our area region or, or reading coverage area as far as St. Louis goes, so he counts. And then the big offensive lineman, offensive tackle from down at Jackson, Missouri, Connor Tolleson. I've never seen, I can't remember a guy who the, the two leading recruiting sites had such different perceptions of he was a four-star uh number two guy in the state according to 24-7 but then you look at rivals and he's a three-star and he's like the 11th guy in the state so either way Missouri got a big old offensive tackle that uh that you know I think they 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 definitely need to develop there as we saw in that uh, in that Georgia game so really good job there and then I think you always got to get a quarterback and they got one in Tyler Macon who they really focused on early not long after Drinkwood's got the job. Uh, he really likes the fact that the guy's a winner, won a state championship for East St. Louis. He's a leader. He really helped uh, land a lot of these St. Louis guys. And uh, he's, he's a true dual threat. I mean, he set the Illinois state record for touchdowns in a season with 56 his junior year. Of course, he didn't play this year. Uh, and he's going to enroll early, him and Dominic Lovett. So everyone freaks out and wonders, what are you going to do with multiple quarterbacks? You've got Connor Bazelak. Now you got Tyler Macon coming in. You let that figure itself out. I mean, it's the worst thing you can do is not have enough quarterbacks. Now you've you've got a couple, um, and Missouri's they've got several offers out for some high-profile 2022 quarterbacks. So they're not going to stop with these guys. So I, I think all in all, it's really good. And also, and Drinkwitz brought this up. Every every team in America had to deal with the uh, dead period for recruiting because of the pandemic. So you were you were limited to doing things on Zoom and FaceTime and all that. But also, Missouri staff was also dealing with all those NCAA penalties as far as they, they went a couple weeks at a time without being able to have any kind of communication with recruits because of the penalties on stuff that happened five years ago. So uh, to have a top 20 class while dealing with all that, I think says a lot about the upside of Drinkwitz and his staff when it comes to, uh, and when it comes to recruiting and putting a, putting a class together. I'll just say a couple things to, to that point, you know, people wondered about, Hunter Bazelak and if he was going to decommit or go elsewhere when Missouri signed Sean Robinson and Kelly Bryant in that right. same group with Kelly Bryant being the one-year starter as the grad transfer and Sean Robinson looking to looking to add up uh, you know the, the years after that and Connor Bazelak said oh no I'll come and compete for a spot it's worked out pretty well for him yeah. so that could be even a, a lesson to to make and I like that he likes the competition and I like that Drinkwitz gave him credit with kind of holding this class 
together when the poachers started circling yeah. zoo. That's a good quality to have in a, in a quarterback. The other thing I'll add is this. The last time Missouri had a top 25 class, according to rivals, and they had a close one in Drew Locke, the year that Drew Locke and, uh, and um, um, Terry oh Beckner. Thank you. Terry yeah. Beckner Jr. signed. Um, and that was that they were, they were just outside of the top 25 in rivals then. And that's not everything, but let's go back to the actual last time they had a certified top 25 class from rivals. That was, you know, 2010 where, you know, Marcus Lucas and those guys were, were there, they were on the field when uh, they were on the field, when Missouri was at its high point in the, in the sec, the Marcus Lucas class was, you know, you had James Franklin, you had Coney Ely. Those guys were leading the way when Missouri was winning back-to-back SEC East titles. So if you want to beat the Georgias, you got to have some guys who can play at Georgia. Um, this class has some guys who who could develop into players who look to be that type. So that's kind of the the bow on recruiting. Missouri took a bad loss to Georgia, a kind of a reminder of that locked door that is there, um, you know, between Georgia and Florida and the rest of the SEC East, unless uh, Florida goes crazy and throws a shoe against uh, LSU. But uh, you can tell that Drinkwitz is starting to chip away at that in a pretty significant way. So another good sign for first-year coach there in, in Eli Drinkwitz's recruiting. Now let's look at actual football, Dave. Uh, Mississippi State is kind of having a season that I would, I'll be honest, I thought Mizzou might have, where you go yeah. and try to get one signature win and then, you know, and then, uh, you know, hold on for dear life. Now, Mississippi State beat LSU early. And then it's been pretty bad since then. Their only other win came against LS, came against Vanderbilt, and that was by a touchdown. And we've seen how bad Vanderbilt is. Missouri, on the other hand, beats LSU, beats the defending national champion. LSU hasn't turned out to be that great, but then the momentum has continued to move forward from there with, with other wins. Um, what do you make of where Mississippi State is right now under Mike Leach? He's had more interesting press conferences than he's had football games so far. Yeah, really a weird year. You know, I, I think when the four hires were made in the SEC before the season, the conventional wisdom was, okay, well, Mississippi State will have the easiest transition because he knows what he's doing. He'll just install that offense. All he needs is a quarterback, and they'll throw for 7,000 yards, and it'll look like a, a typical Mike Leach team where they're, they'll, they'll upset somebody, they'll get upset by somebody, but at the end of the season, they'll be right around 500 or so, and it has not gone that well. And it's mostly because the offense has been kind of a mess. There's still the same pass all the time type offense uh, that he always has had. You go back every year that he had was at Washington State. And then this year, his teams are dead last in the country in rushing attempts per game. So the process, the, the way it looks is no different. They're, they're not running the ball at all. They're just throwing it all the time in, in, his, uh, in his style, in his spread offense. Their defense has been okay statistically. Uh, they were, they've had their moments. They play a very different style. It's a three-three front. Um, they get a lot of penetration. They'll give up big plays, but they will also cause some headaches for you because it's it's unlike any other system that you see in the SEC regularly. So that's what Drinkwitz was really focused on this week. Was this is a completely different style, really on both sides of the ball. I mean, they haven't they haven't seen a, a pure spread like this all year. Uh, or a defense like this. So this is not necessarily an easy game to prepare for. I think if anything, maybe the scheme will give both schemes will give Missouri maybe a little more trouble than the personnel will because that, you know, Mississippi state isn't, they're not loaded with great talent right now. I think these teams are pretty evenly matched just as far as talent goes. Um, it's going to be a matter of, you know, who kind of outcoaches the other, I think. So it, it, it could be an interesting matchup. Missouri's favored by a point, 
wouldn't surprise me if, um, you know, they're a lot better than that and, and come out and win this game kind of like they did maybe uh, the Kentucky game or South Carolina game where they're up by a touchdown or two and always kind of feel good about it. Um, but, you know, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised either. This is a four-quarter game, and maybe this is one that Mississippi State thinks it can win. But they seemed kind of checked out you know, about midway through the season. They had a lot of opt-outs. Their roster was really thin during all the COVID stuff. You, you listen to Mike Leach talking, he just seems like he's ready to move on to the offseason and kind of purge this roster and get ready to move on to bigger and better things for the for for the Bulldogs. But kind of hard to get a read on this one. I, I, I do really sense from Drinkwitz this week, he's got some urgency. He does not want this team to just kind of cruise through this one and then get their bowl announcement. Um, I, I, he sounded like he's got some real concerns. They had success against Georgia briefly when they were really getting pressure yeah. on the quarterback. You know, that's really, I think their only probably chance of, of they have to, they have to blitz and then they got to figure out what exactly is ailing this defense, um, yeah. you know, during this offseason. A lot of it is health and, and depth. I mean, when yeah. you've got reserve <laughs> offensive linemen making their debut on the defensive line against Georgia, it's a sign that you don't have your roster right exactly where you want it, which is so Mizzou's kind of patching some things together on the defensive side at the moment. And we've seen the, the need to fix that in that recruiting class that you mentioned. So we'll see if they can dial up the pressure on Saturday. It would be a bummer, you know, for them to blow a game against a team they should beat and they should beat this team. Yeah, entering their bowl game, you know, I think a bounce back game would keep, you know, spirits high after the, the Georgia loss. And they have a chance if they win this game to be in a pretty nice bowl. I mean, could be as good as the Citrus Bowl against uh, maybe a Northwestern. Um, you know, you had you've run down the all these scenarios in the post dispatch. But the idea of maybe Mizzou getting a more appealing bowl than, say, Auburn, because Auburn doesn't have a coach right now. Right. That could be something that that is that is interesting. And and hey, if this thing is in Florida, have we heard from the Bulls in Florida what their policy will be with fans? Could this be a chance for Mizzou fans to maybe, if they if they choose to, go to a game and, and have a chance to see the football team maybe for the first time this season if they weren't able to get one of the some of the few available tickets uh, at Faroe this year? Yeah, it could be because if you look at, um, you know, I've checked out some of these bowl sites, just their websites and what they're talking about this year, and they're they're open to having some fans in the Florida uh, in the Florida Bulls, the, the Gator Bowl. It's it's where uh, it's where the the Tampa, or I'm sorry, the Jacksonville Jaguars play. Yeah, I've covered They're, that game before when I was at Tennessee, year. yeah. Um, you know, Tampa is where uh, the Outback Bowl is, is where the Bucks play, and I, I, they're still having fans, to my knowledge. So I, I think they would be open to that. And I don't know how, how what capacity would be. Uh, what they're not going to do, they're not going to have, like, the week-long festivities that you don't right. make the bowl. Teams are only going to go down one or two days in advance. Um, you're not going to have three weeks of bowl practices just because the season's gone so much later. So the one interesting thing is the SEC is doing things a little bit differently this year, that that pool of six bowls that normally the league assigns, Hey, Missouri, you're going to go to the Liberty bowl this year and you're going to play Oklahoma state. That's what the league wants. That's what the bowl partners wants. Missouri's a little bit of say in that, but not a whole lot this year. They're going to look at the records of the available teams and everybody's eligible this year. Remember, except LSU they're, they took a postseason ban. So even, uh, even, oh, yeah, that, that poor LSU, that's yeah, really, right. they're really suffering by taking that uh, bowl ban this year. Yeah. So three and seven Arkansas is eligible for a bowl, just like five and four right. Missouri is right now. Um, and what they're going to do is the league is going to ask everybody to, Hey, here's your preferences. What bowl would you like? And we're going to go in order of, of uh, record. So if Missouri or Auburn have the best record, they'll get their choice. Now Missouri would like to play in one of those two Florida bowls, uh, the Outback, which is January 2nd this year, 
against the Big Ten or the Gator, which I think is also January 2nd against uh, the ACC. Uh, now, the Citrus would be above that. The Citrus actually picks who they want. They pick after the playoff bowls. And they really could, if, if Georgia, Florida, and Texas A&M are all in those New Year's Six Bowls, which they should be, then they would have the choice of Auburn or Missouri. Now, do you, Auburn's, you know, they've, they're the brand name team, a little bit more so than Missouri. They don't have a coach right now. Will they have one by Sunday? Maybe. They, they could. It seemed like that was kind of moving fast. Would that even matter to them? I don't know. They signed 12 guys yesterday without having a head coach. So I guess they can get a bowl game without having a head coach. So uh, we'll see. Interesting that you would sign a uh, scholarship agreement with a school that doesn't have that doesn't have a coach. Uh, that one that one's confusing to me. Maybe they know something. Uh, maybe those guys know something that that we don't about the uh, about the Auburn coaching search. Um, Dave, this is uh, it's going to continue to be busy here with with these two sports going. Um, you will be uh, you'll be in Starkville for coverage of the uh, Tigers game there it's their first game uh, in Starkville correct the first yeah. time they've ever played there because they used to play in uh, in Jackson I think when they've been there in the past Missouri went there in 1981 but the game was in Jackson because that's when that Mississippi State used to kind of split their games between Jackson and Starkville if you need some restaurant recommendations I gotcha um, last time I was there I had a roadside crawfish I don't know if crawfish are in season right now um, I think you're safe to eat them in the colder months because there's less chance of bacteria but if you do go to the crawfish stand be sure not to like take your contacts out within like six hours afterwards because you can get the spice in the eye that's a lesson i learned personally last time i was in uh, last time i was in starkville you'll have coverage from the road dave keep up the good work it was fun to be with you last saturday in columbia and there should be some more fun saturdays here in store encourage folks to check out all of dave's work easy to find stl today Com. Our podcast is available on iTunes. Just search for I on the Tigers podcast. Keep up with Dave on Twitter at Dave underscore matter. I'm at Ben underscore Fred. We'll talk to you next week, breaking down another week and upcoming weekend in Mizzou sports. For Dave, I'm Ben. Have a good weekend, everybody.